0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ryan Polly Podcast. This is the end of the month Q and A for the month of August, where I am answering your questions from Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, wherever else they get posted. I love just hearing from you guys and uh, having the chance to kind of work through some of these issues, some of these questions that are pressing and on your minds. So that's what we're going to jump to here after kind of a few announcements. But first of all, as Maybe it doesn't happen as often as I would like, but I love listening out to those of you listening on podcast and on radio. I don't get to hear from you much. I don't get as much interaction with you, and I'm not always sure who you are and where you're listening from. So if you would like to, I would love to hear from you, where you're listening to. So if you want to uh, connect with me on Facebook uh, at Ryan Polly, or Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Ryan Polly 3 or email at contact at com. I'd just love to hear how you heard about the show, how you're enjoying it, maybe what content you want to hear coming up, as well as you can send in your questions for the end of the month Q&A for September. And i just love to be able to connect with you guys in that way. Also, I'd love just to ask is, you know, it's very difficult to have a podcast spread because podcast apps normally are not pushing your content on other people. The best way for podcasts to spread and for this information to get out there is just for you to share it, for you to tell people. And so if you are listening, I assume that you enjoy it unless you just happen to stumble upon this episode. I'd love for you just to share with your family, your friends, however possible, uh, just to let them know that this is something that you enjoy. Maybe they might enjoy it as well. Maybe they could send in some questions that can be discussed next month as well. And then when the apps are promoting content, they're promoting promoting content that have gotten good reviews. And so uh, I would really appreciate if you could head over to whatever app you listen on, whether that's iTunes or Podbean or I don't know what else there is, Spotify, Google Music. Uh, If you want to leave a rating uh, and hit those stars or leave a brief comment on what you enjoy about the show, that will help just to help kind of spread this message out there, get it to more people, um, you know, and not looking for this massively huge audience. But I love just doing this. And I do believe that this is information that people need. And I do believe it's information that is valuable. That's why I do it. And That's probably why you're listening. And so I just want to, uh, for this to get into the hands of those who need it and who it will benefit. And so... I would just love your your help and your participation in that. Uh, but with that, let me just say thank you. We're going to jump into the episode here. Where we're going to talk about some of the questions, make a few more announcements on interviews coming up, and then into the questions for this week. So just again, thank you so much for listening on podcast, on radio, whoever you are, wherever you are, and wherever you're listening. You know. Like I always say, I, I like doing YouTube. YouTube is fun, but I am a podcaster. And uh, I listen to everything on podcast in my car, my bike. So I'm that, right there with you guys listening here on podcast. So thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this show as we discuss your questions. Well, it's the end of the month again, and it's time for another live Q&A. So start putting in those questions. There's a lot that came in ahead of time from social media. Again, if you want to send in your questions ahead of time, I'll put that stuff up here on the screen for you guys. But welcome. My name is Ryan Polly. I'm excited to be here with you guys answering and trying to answer some of those questions. If I don't answer your question, it's because I probably haven't studied it, and I don't want to give a surface-level response. That's why I don't talk about some issues, is I don't feel like I know it well enough to be able to give a good description of it. But I try to answer the questions that you have related to Christianity, science, religion, faith, culture, worldview, ethics, all that kind of fun stuff that I love teaching my high school students and want to help people think more deeply about so that you can know what you believe, defend it well, and faithfully live it out. Today, we got questions on aliens and how do we know if Christianity is true and looking at the existence of God and what faith is and proof of the Trinity and what Jesus celebrated. And so those are some of the questions that came in ahead of time, as well as again, uh, you can see in the description below if you're watching live on YouTube. Uh, ways that you can send in questions now. You missed your chance ahead of time, you can send those in ahead of time next for next month on social media. But uh, if you want to send in questions now, you can do so by uh, posting them in the live chat. Just put a Q in front and then your question, or you can call into the show. The number's there on the screen, 714-989-6927. Again, after the fact, and it sometimes takes me a while to get around to this because I'm doing it all by myself. But after the fact, I do go ahead and try my best to put timestamps so you can kind of skip through this. I know you guys are busy an hour long discussion is a lot to listen to especially if it's stuff that you are not really that interested in so if you're watching after the fact maybe a few days give me some time you can click on those timestamps below and see what the specific topics are jump to the question you're interested in and then kind of be done so that is an option for you as well Uh, if you're listening after the fact on radio or podcast thanks for being here uh, another kind of quick introduction, some announcements, interviews that are coming up to see if you are interested in, uh, and then we will jump into the question. So first of all, on, let's see. September. We're coming up on the end of August. My goodness, this year is flying by. September 11. Now, unfortunately, this interview is not going to be live, but I am doing a conversation with Lydia McGrew, first talking about her her book, Hidden in Plain View, looking at undesigned coincidences in the Gospels and Acts, showing the reliability of the Bible. And then also her newest book, as you see here, The Eye of the Beholder, The Gospel of John, A Historical Reportage. And so we're going to be looking at the reliability of the Gospels and how we understand that. That is a conversation Conversation that is going to be recorded on that day and then published to YouTube not too much longer after so if that's something you're interested in interested in subscribe. On September 22nd, a live discussion with Jay Warner Wallace, his book, Person of Interest. It's not out yet. I think it comes out in like the end of September, looking at Jesus, why Jesus still matters in a world that rejects the Bible. So this is going to be a fun conversation. If you are interested in that, join us on September 22nd. Again, you can subscribe, make sure you don't miss that live. And hey, if you're going to miss it, it's okay. You can watch whenever you want or listen on podcast if you're interested. So Those are my announcements. I think it's time to jump into our conversation so we can work through these questions. And again, if you have questions, post them in that live chat, call in, and I'd love to have a chat with you guys. So uh, first question that came in, this is from my students actually, uh, asking me, do you think intelligent life exists beyond our planet? Now, whenever I begin to kind of maybe throw this question back to people and say, do you? Uh, It's very common to say, yes, I do believe that intelligent life, now speaking here of aliens, a physical being that lives somewhere else in our universe. And often the answer is, or the reason is, our universe is so big. Why are we the only lucky ones? Uh, If our planet can support life, surely there's got to be another planet out there somewhere that has the ability to support life, right? And so um, that's often the argument that is presented for maybe why there could be aliens. Now, let's Think about that, for example, for a second. The fact that we exist, does that mean that there must be life somewhere else or that we should expect life somewhere else? And I don't think that follows necessarily. It definitely follows that there could be life somewhere else. It's possible that there's life on another planet because our universe has shown that it can sustain life here, at least on Earth. But it doesn't mean that we should expect it. So I was actually in a conversation. I'm currently in a conversation on Twitter with an atheist who kind of presented this objection to Christianity. If you want to see that conversation, you can go on my Twitter account and you can follow that conversation. It's still ongoing Uh, where he presented this deductive argument saying, like, for example, if our universe was created with the purpose of producing life, then we should expect to see life in the majority of the universe. Premise two, the universe does not have life in the majority of the universe. Therefore, the universe was not created with the purpose of producing life. Now, my issue with this argument is I, we had a back and forth and he's kind of changed it and he's reworking the argument based on some critiques and criticisms he's getting, which I think is awesome. It's a fun conversation that we're able to have and being respectful of it is I don't see why it follows that we must expect life to move on. And so I used his exact same argument, but I substituted the word universe for science laboratory or science lab. If a science lab was created with the purpose of producing life, then we should expect to see life in the majority of the science lab. No, life is not in the majority of the science lab. It's only in one little small Petri dish. Therefore, the lab was not created with the purpose of producing life. Now we see that's false. No, that lab was created to produce life. It produced life and therefore it did what it was created to do. The fact of life being spread out or only small does not change the fact that it's doing what it was made to do. Now, there's a lot of information that could go in more in depth into responding to this kind of point. But I think the the big thing is, is I think the same is true of our universe. It's like that science lab. You have a huge building with tons of machines and maybe tons of rooms. And each room is doing something different, all with the purpose of creating a final product. You don't necessarily have to find that final product in every single room because maybe that room isn't meant to create the product. That room is meant to create a different chemical that then is used in that final product. And so I think the same is true with our universe. Our universe is actually necessary. The size of our universe is necessary to have the advanced life that we have here on planet Earth. The amount of oxygen we have and the rotation that we have in our solar system, and our galaxy, all of this is necessary in order to produce the life we have. Our universe is not full of just wasted space. But even if there was some wasted space, let's say within your science lab, you have a closet that's unused, full of cobwebs and junk. Does that take away from the fact that that lab was made for the purpose of life and life is only found in that one petri dish? The fact that you don't find 10 petri dishes or 500 petri dishes, does that mean that it didn't make, it wasn't made for its purpose? I don't think so. And I think that this maybe analogy kind of helps make sense of this. God being all powerful, I don't think affects this either. God being omnipotent means that he could make life somewhere else, but doesn't mean that he has to. And so the question we have to say is, do we have in a good reasons to believe that there's life out there. And my answer to that is, I don't think so. Uh, we have looked a long ways away. Millions of light years we have away. We have evaluated tens of thousands of planets. Some planets look more promising than others, but we have still not found a planet that contains all of the properties necessary to create a space that is habitable for life, that can produce advanced intelligent life. So we're kind of like, oh, for 20,000, you know, I'm making up numbers here, but, you know, and so we haven't been successful yet. Now, is it possible there is a planet out there that does have life on it? Absolutely. Definitely possible. Could God have created life out there? He could have, but we haven't found it. We don't have positive evidence of it. And so I don't personally believe that it exists. So I don't think there's life out there. I wouldn't say, no, there is none. Because again, that is making a statement, which I don't have evidence for, as well as I wouldn't say, yes, there is. Because that is also making a statement to which there's no evidence for. It's possible, but I don't think there is. Especially now when we factor in the Christian story, not just the scientific understanding of our universe. God is creating on our entire universe. God created our planet for the purpose of humans, to be in relationship with him. We have fallen away from him. We have sinned. And the entire scripture is full of the redemption plan of God working throughout human history to bring us back to him. It's all focused on us. And so I don't think... Biblically speaking, there's a good reason to believe that there are aliens out there somewhere. Uh, I definitely don't think if there are, that we should expect that somehow original sin applies to them, that somehow they are in need of salvation, that there's some sort of alien Jesus or something like that. Uh, I don't necessarily think that they're necessarily that intelligent. We maybe are shaped, I think, uh, by Hollywood and uh, their picture of these super smart creatures that fly spaceships all around the universe and are way better than Smarter and more advanced than us. And we think, surely if there's life out there, then it should be like that. But well, why? Why not find like a cockroach on some planet? And that's all that there is, not these super advanced aliens. The thing is, we just don't know what's out there. So um, I don't really think there's life out there. There definitely could be, but there's no positive evidence pointing me to the fact that there is. And so that is my conclusion. If you do have some evidence that you think does point us to the conclusion that there is life out there, comment uh, below. And uh, I would love to discuss that with you. Now, Um, I don't think this, again, takes away from a Christian view. If we do find aliens, does that mean Christianity is false? No, not at all. Why? Because God says that he created all things. And so that means that he just created aliens. And for whatever reason, we didn't know about them until now. There's lots of creatures that we're not aware of their existence until we discover them. But I don't see why we would put aliens in some sort of category other than another animal. It's only human beings that are created in the image of God that are unique in that way. So I don't think aliens would be in God's image. Therefore, as I mentioned, not affected by the fall, not in need of a savior. In fact, I think it might even be more evidence of God's existence because now you have the improbability of have a, from an evolutionary perspective, of a naturalistic process, creating advanced intelligent life. Now that has to happen twice in two different places. I think that becomes even more unlikely so there's a few thoughts on whether i think life exists beyond our planet and i hope that you know kind of thinking through that objection as well or that reason as well of like but our universe is huge yes that means it's possible it has the space for that life to exist but it does not follow logically and necessarily that life must exist just because it's big we need to find some positive evidence for that so hope that helps first question today in our end of the month q a next question that came in ahead of time how do you know that Christianity is the one true religion with so many religions and their evidence. I think this is a really good question. And I think that there's a framework that we need to recognize is real and think critically about this question. First of all, to relieve a little bit of pressure, we don't have to investigate all the religions of the world, all the claimed gods of the world in order to know that God is the one true God even though there are many other claimed gods. Uh, We don't have to look at all of the evidence that is presented for all the other religions in order to know that Christianity is the one true religion. Why do I say that? Again, let's think about an illustration analogy for a second. Imagine you have a crime scene where you have a victim, a dead person. You know that person was murdered, right? It's clear evidence this was a homicide. Do you have to investigate all 7 billion people that live on the face of the planet in order to know who killed your victim? The answer clearly is no. You just have to figure out, okay, when did this victim die? Okay, they died in Los Angeles this morning. Well, clearly all the people that are in New York this morning are innocent, right? They have to only be the people that are there. Now, let's say you find out this person has brown hair. You found brown hair at the scene of the crime. Do you investigate everyone with brown hair? No, there are possibilities. But again, the person who's in New York with brown hair is immediately excluded because it doesn't fit all the evidence. Now There's a piece of evidence that fits, but just because someone has a brown hair doesn't lead to that conclusion. So what do you do? Well, if you find out, okay, there's this guy named Bob. Sorry, Bob, if you're Bob, sorry, I'm going to use you as an example here. If you find out there's this guy named Bob and you actually have video surveillance of Bob shooting the victim, and you have like 10 eyewitnesses who all saw Bob shoot the victim and give you their testimony. You have Bob's gun at the scene of the crime. Bob's gun shows evidence that it was fired. Bob's fingerprints are on the gun. Even when you asked him, Bob, did you do this? And Bob says, yeah, I committed the crime. You have really good reason to believe that Bob is the guilty person. And therefore, by definition, everybody else is innocent. You found your criminal. I think the same thing can be applied to religion. If you have positive evidence for the truth of Christianity, then, or any religion, then any religion that contradicts it, excuse me, would by definition, therefore be false. Just like if you have positive evidence for the guilt of Bob, everyone else would by definition be innocent. And so I think there's four questions. Now, when I presented this before on TikTok, actually, uh, people said, well, this is a horrible argument. And I'm not necessarily making an argument because at this point, I'm not giving a defense for my points. But I think it's a simple stepping stone process. There's four questions that have to be answered. Number one, is there truth? Does truth exist? Because if there is no truth, then Christianity is not true. And it's not true that God exists, right? If if we're going to say that Christianity is true, you need truth. So, if the answer is yes, if the answer is yes, that there is truth, and I think that one is pretty self evident, then you know that Christianity is true. Um, Or not Christianity, sorry, then you know that there is truth. And then worldviews that deny truth, like postmodernism, would therefore, by definition, be false. Number two, the question is Does God exist? Is there a God? And if you can give positive evidence for the existence of God, and I think some of the arguments that we'll talk about here in just a moment, as I got some pushback against this already, which is awesome. And I love that. But if you can show and demonstrate that God does in fact exist, the answer to the question does God exist is yes. If you can show that, then by definition, any religion or worldview that denies the existence of God would by definition have to be false based on the law of non-contradiction. Two contradictory claims cannot both be true at the same time in the same sense. If God does exist, then the atheistic view or any religious, or any atheistic religion would by definition also have to be false. So if God exists, then our next question is, has he shown himself to us? Has he done anything to prove that he is God? Mainly here, what we're looking for is something like amazing that only God could do, something supernatural, like a miracle. Has this God shown himself saying, look, I exist. Here I am by doing something so crazy, so supernatural that we go, that was God. Now, the Bible is full of these examples where God is demonstrating walking on water, telling the storms to calm down, healing the sick, raising the dead, in fact, dying and rising himself from the dead in the person of Jesus Christ, showing, look, I am this God that exists and here's evidence to believe. And we see this in the words of Jesus. When he heals the paralytic, he says, first, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees say, who are you to forgive sins? And his response, so that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins, rise and walk. Notice that Jesus is not saying so that you can believe or so that you can think. He says so that you can know there is knowledge in seeing the miracles of Jesus. Now, at this point, yes, it is possible that these are all made up. And that's what leads us to our last question. But if God has done something like a miracle to show us who he is, then we pay attention to that. Okay, this God has actually presented himself as real and done something to prove it. Lastly, is the New Testament true? Are what we see, the miracles in the New Testament, are they real? Did it actually happen? Is this a reliable source of information? And if your answer to that question is yes, which we're going to be talking about in future weeks, looking at how we look at design, uh, uh, undesigned coincidences and in the eye of the beholder, again, here are great books of Lydia McGrew, looking at the reliability of the gospel. And if the New Testament is true, then the New Testament says, really, Jesus is God, is what we'll look at here with questions on the Trinity coming up that were asked. Here is the way to get to God. Jesus says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if Jesus is the only way, Jesus is God, he showed it to us by dying and rising from the dead, performing miracles. If we can answer yes to all four of those questions, then Christianity is true. And every religion that denies it or contradicts it would by definition have to be false. Now, I do think that we then can, for fun, begin to look at other religions. And if they are false, we should be able to see something in there that's a contradiction. And I think we can do that but you don't have to investigate every single religion in the world in order to know that one is true. In the same way, you don't have to investigate every person in the world in order to know that Bob is your murderer. I think this might hopefully help in kind of relieving a little bit of stress from our shoulders, a little bit of weight of what we actually need to do. Now, what about other religions and their evidence? Isn't there evidence for them? the answer is yes, of course. Other religions do have evidence. The question that we have to ask is what does the evidence show? What follows logically from this evidence? So, for example, you have Islam, that Muhammad. Evidentially, he's a real historical person. We know when he was born. We know when he traveled from Medina to Mecca or from Mecca to Medina first and then back from Medina to Mecca. We know all this information from him. It's a historical person. There's evidence for that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Islam is true, that Muhammad received revelation from the angel Gabriel presenting the words of God, of Allah. Same thing with Mormonism, right? We know that Joseph Smith is a real person. You can go to the Mormon museum and you can see his clothes and you can see a replica of his house and you can watch these things. And so you can know that he's a real person that lived in a real time, but is his claim about meeting Jesus in the grove, the tree grove, or is his claim about getting the golden plates? Do we have evidence to support that? That is the question. In the same way, I think Christians, Christians, we have to be careful, if you're a Christian watching, you have to be careful in how you present your evidence. We sometimes take a piece of evidence and say, see, therefore Christianity is true, but that evidence doesn't show that Christianity is true. For example, well, Jerusalem is a real city. Jerusalem's mentioned in the Bible, therefore the Bible's true. Well, no, you can tell a story that includes a lot of historical details. I can tell a story about a Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. when I was doing a live stream on YouTube and I was wearing a green shirt with my beard, there's a guitar in the background, and I was answering a question about world religions. And then right in the middle of my live stream, a bird flew into my office. Okay, that didn't happen. I included a lot of true details, but that doesn't mean that everything I said is true. And so sometimes the evidence that we have provides credibility for aspects of the story, but not the core of the story. This is what I think is unique when it comes to Christianity. The core of Christianity is the death and resurrection of Jesus. First Corinthians 15 shows that this is what Christianity hinges on. And I think that we have good historical evidence to support the death and resurrection of Jesus. Historically, we can show that Jesus did die and rise from the dead. That's an evidentially supported statement, not just that Jesus was real or that the Sea of Galilee is a real place or the Dead Sea or these sort of locations. And so I think there's actually a difference in what the evidence shows when it comes to Christianity than when it comes to these other religions. Yes, there may be aspects that are proven evidentially, but it doesn't necessarily prove the core or the most important details that make that religion unique. here's a few thoughts on this idea of how we can know that Christianity is true based on other religions. Again, thank you all for being here. Who is here? If you have other questions, put them in the live chat. You can call on the show 714-989-6927. By the way, now that I'm back in school, uh, this should be in every last Thursday of the month at 4 p.m. I'll let you know if there are any changes, but that's the time that was voted on as working best. And so that's the time that we are going to go with consistently. So if you're listening after the fact, know that in September, whatever the last Thursday is in September, 4 p.m., that is when we're going to be live if you do want to call in and have that sort of conversation. okay. so uh, going along this idea of how do we know that Christianity is true? Again, notice this is like if this is true, then it follows. Right. If we answer yes to all four of those questions, then Christianity becomes true. I and mean, this is not necessarily an argument for Christianity. This is more a framework in how we think. So now we have to make arguments that the answers to each one of these questions is yes. So I did get the pushback from someone who says, how do we confirm the existence of a God, not just to yourself as well as others? Now, I love how this is framed. Because here's, I think, a really important distinction, a distinction that William Lane Craig makes. There's a difference between knowing that Christianity is true and showing that Christianity is true. There's a difference between knowing that Christianity is true and showing that Christianity is true. There are events, experiences, feelings that we have, the testimony of the Holy spirit inside of us as believers to where we can know that Christianity is true. But some of you maybe have experienced this. And I just had a conversation recently with a high school student who's like, look, I'm sharing these experiences. I'm telling my friends about how Jesus has changed me and how things are different. But, They just say well maybe your experience is mistaken like they just don't believe it or they just dismiss it and that's the difficulty and i think this is true again as i have a lot of conversations with mormons and it's like how do you know that mormonism is true you read the book of mormon you pray about it and i felt that it was true this is the most common answer that i have been given well i've read parts of the book of mormon i prayed about it and i feel like it's false whose feeling wins at that point right again we have to recognize number one does this evidence If we're going to say, for example, evidence for Christianity is that we have the Bible, a holy book, and a lot of people believe it. Therefore, Christianity is true. Well, Islam has a holy book, the Quran, and a lot of people believe it. Mormonism has a holy book, the Book of Mormon, and a lot of people believe it. Now, Mormonism has other books as well, but you get the point. Uh, If we're going to say this is positive evidence of Christianity, well, then that's also evidence that fits into another religion. So what do you do? Well, whose religion becomes right? How do you distinguish? There's also things, again, that personal experiences that we know. Like, I know what happened in my dream last night, but how do I actually show you what happened in my dream last night? You just have to trust me. There's nothing external that I can give you. This is different than being able to show others is true. So how do we confirm it? Well, there's ways that we can confirm it again, not just for ourselves, but for others. This is something that we need is external, more objective evidence. Now for this, I would point to many different arguments for the existence of God, right? This is why I would point to many different arguments for the existence of God, because why do I do this? I want to try to learn as many arguments as I can, because not every argument is as equally persuasive to everybody. There are some people that are very persuaded by the Kalam cosmological argument, right? Framed that whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause, If we can show that everything that begins to exist has cause, a cause and effect relationship, that our universe truly did, in fact, begin to exist, then we need a cause for our universe. Well, by universe, we're talking about all of space and time. So what could possibly be the cause of space and time? Well, something outside of space, spaceless, something outside of time, timeless. You also have to be extremely powerful in order to bring entire space and time into existence. So that's to be powerful. If you're talking about all of space and time, you're also talking about all the material stuff of our universe. And so the cause has to be immaterial. Um, and so you start to get these attributes that sound a lot like God based on some, based on a philosophical argument that has premises supported by scientific evidence. So we have scientific evidence that supports the beginning of our universe that supports the premise that our universe began to exist within a philosophical argument that has theological implications as we look and decide what is the cause of the universe, what could possibly be the cause of our universe. To some, that's powerful. Others are more persuaded by the moral argument for God's existence, that if objective morality exists, then God must exist. Objective morality does exist, therefore God exists, right? Uh, This idea that you don't get an objective standard of right and wrong unless you have a moral authority above human beings. There is an objective standard of right and wrong. Things like rape and murder and abusing children for fun. These things are actually wrong. It's not wrong just because our culture believes it. It's not wrong because we made it illegal. Slavery is not wrong because it's illegal. Because when it was legal, we were crying out for it was injustice, right? We're saying, no, these people have rights. You can't just take away their freedom and enslave them just because it's legal. What you're doing is wrong. And we cried out against that injustice. And so we recognize that there's an actual right and wrong. What worldview? How do you get an objective right and wrong in a world without God? Now, there's a lot of explanations and we can't go into all of it here, but I think the best explanation for an objective moral values and duties is the existence of God. I don't think you get this from a naturalistic worldview that has purely material things. Some find the moral argument persuasive, others the teleological argument, the design argument, that design requires a designer. Our universe has been designed, therefore universe has a designer. This has convinced many scientists of the truth of theism, at least if not Christianity. Looking both at the design of our universe, the vastness and the fine tuning of our universe and how it is perfectly right for life. That Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold, not too big, not too small. It's just perfect for life. Others have been persuaded of this by looking at the information inside of our genetic code. Uh, Looking at the design of our bodies and the design of these microorganisms that have to be just the way that they are. And the fact that our DNA is written in language, as Francis Collins talks about the language of God. This is very persuasive to say, look, our universe clearly is designed. Design requires a designer. Therefore, there is a designer that designed our universe. That's the best, most plausible, most reasonable explanation. Maybe that's not convincing to others. An argument that I love to try to show others that there is a God is the argument from consciousness. When you study secular philosophers and scientists like um, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, that talk about consciousness being illusion, talking about us not having free will because we are purely robots. We are purely physical. There is no consciousness. There is no mind because that's an immaterial reality. In fact, there's a video of Daniel Dennett. If you search Daniel Dennett, Big Think Consciousness, there's a video that he talks about how some people think consciousness is so wonderful, 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 wonderful that they need to divide the world into two to make room for it. And what he's talking about is this idea that some people think consciousness is so amazing that you have to divide the world into an immaterial and material world. Dualism, substance dualism, that there are two distinct substances, a material world and an immaterial world. He says something like, I, I know why they think you need to do that, but you don't have to. There's a perfectly material explanation for consciousness, and it is your brain is playing tricks on you. The pushback is how do you know that you're... Brain is playing tricks on you if your brain is tricking you. My example of this is if we are just like robots, we're just advanced computer systems. You take two computers, put them in a room, and leave them. Are they going to figure out who's right? No, of course not. Right, there's no communication. There's no way to evaluate, and understand, and see the, that perspective to know who is right and who is wrong to come to a knowledge of truth. You know that it's wrong, but you're not aware of it. It's like saying that, like, I'm like Siri, like, You can program Siri to believe that she's a real person, but she's not. She may think that she is. She's not. She's programmed. You could program her to where when you ask, what's two plus two? She could say seven. She doesn't know that she's giving you a wrong answer. If we are purely physical, like a computer program, like an advanced intelligence, then I don't think that there's a way that we can actually know what is true. I think the fact of us being conscious, for us being able to evaluate the world around us, to be able to actually come to truth, to be able to make an argument for or against God is evidence that we have something that a materialistic process or a materialistic universe worldview cannot give us. Some find that very persuasive. Maybe you, maybe the last one I'll talk about here, an argument from the soul. Let's see, what time are we at? We're moving along quickly. Okay. Argument from the soul. Uh, there's good evidence that we as humans have a soul I think you can look at our unity of identity I think you can look at change over time so common example um, if you ask me when were you born I was born in 1988 okay did the body that I have right now exist in 1988 no but did I exist in 1988 yes so then I can't be my body. If my body did not exist back then, but I existed back then, then I can't be my body. And you can look at philosophically that the purely physical things, as you change them, they become different, don't remain the same. Purely physical things change as you substitute parts. So if I take my bicycle and I replace the wheels, it's a different bicycle. Now, how do you know this? Because if you replaced each part one by one, then you have a new bicycle. It's not the old one. Why? Because if I replaced every part one by one and have a new bicycle, I could take all the old parts, put them together, and I get the old bicycle. Now I have two bicycles. How can I have two bicycles uh, that are different if we're talking about the same thing? So purely physical things, as you begin to change them out, they change. But us, as our personality changes, as our body changes, as our skin cells die and grow, our identity remains the same over time. I think that's good evidence for a soul and at least a dualistic worldview. So here's some of the examples I would give. And there's other arguments that we can look at that I think points to the fact that of there being a God, an immaterial mind that created us in his image, giving us a soul with a body and then creating, designing our universe and all this kind of stuff, I think does point to the existence of God. So I think these would be good reasons to say it's reasonable to answer the question to does God exist with a yes. Now, to a very different topic. Again, thanks for sending these questions. If you have any questions, feel free to comment in. Thank you guys for being here. How do you prove or how can you prove the Trinity without the Bible? My answer to this would be, you can't. I don't think you can. What we have to recognize with this question is that uh, there's information that God gives to us in general revelation. Right. Romans chapter one, what we just got done talking about Romans chapter one, talking about God displaying his power, his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived in the things that he has made. And so there are truths about God that we can learn from studying nature, general revelation. But then there is special revelation information that God only gives to us through scripture in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's like, how are you saved? Prove it outside of scripture. Well, there's no knowledge outside scripture that we can see in nature that God has revealed to us, showing us how to be saved. I think the same thing is true of the Trinity. God reveals some things only in general revelation, like that Jupiter exists. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Then there are things that there's both in general and special revelation, like the creation in Genesis one, which is why that's so debated. And then there are things that are only in special revelation, only in scripture, like sanctification, justification and the Trinity that you don't find in general revelation. So I don't think that you can actually prove the Trinity without the Bible. Now, really quickly to kind of go over this and looking at how to uh, show the Trinity, and I don't necessarily think that you can even prove the Trinity with the Bible, but you can definitely prove that the Bible teaches the Trinity. So let's just run through a very brief uh, description or way in which to show the Trinity is biblical in what scripture says first there are three things the bible affirms that show the trinity number one is the bible shows that there is only one god we see this in verses like deuteronomy six four here O israel the lord our god the lord is one isaiah 43 um verse 10 and 11 you are my witnesses declares the lord and my servant whom i have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that i am he before me, no God was formed. There shall be none, there shall be, no, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord and beside me, there is no savior. Next chapter, Isaiah 44, verse six. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last beside me. There is no God. Lastly, in John 17:3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so here are four different verses in Deuteronomy, Isaiah, and John, showing our first thing that we see in Scripture is that there clearly, Scripture is teaching, there is only one God. The second foundational principle that we see in Scripture is that each person is distinct from one another. So, for example, where we see in Matthew chapter three in the baptism of Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So what scripture clearly is teaching is that there are three distinct persons, the father, the son and the spirit. They are not the same. And we see this clearly in Matthew chapter three in the baptism of Jesus and that they are in three different spatial locations at the same time. The father in heaven, the spirit descending in the form of a dove to rest upon Jesus and Jesus in the water. We're not talking about one man who is a teacher, a father and a son. Uh, we're not talking about that because that's one person. You can't be all three in three different places at the same time. This is unique to the Trinity. And so we see three different persons. The last thing and the third foundational principle that we see in Scripture is that Scripture points to the fact that each one of these persons is God. So, for example, in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Clearly, they're talking that Jesus is God. John 10, verses, starting in verse 30, it says, I and the Father are one. Now, some religions, like a Mormonism, would, would look at this and say, okay, Yeah, but one in purpose is often what is described there. Not one in being, not one in essence, but one in purpose. But here's the issue. Look at the next paragraph. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Wait, why? Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. This is very clear. The Jews of that time saw this in John chapter 10, verse 30. The statement, I and the Father are one. The Father being God is not saying, I'm just on the same page. Because they're trying to be on the same page. They're trying to be one in unity with the Father. The Pharisees are trying to do the will of the Father. But they're saying, no, you're actually making yourself God. This statement, one, is not one in purpose. It's saying that you are equal, that you are, you are God and they go to stone him for it. And so clearly we see these are just two examples of Jesus, of scripture teaching Jesus claiming to be God. Lastly, in Acts, Acts chapter five, verse three, this is where Ananias and Sapphira uh, lied to Peter about the price of their property and what they sold it for. And it says, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He says he lied to the Holy Spirit. And then here at the very end, at the end of verse four, you have not lied to man, but to God. And so here in Acts chapter five, this showing the example that lying to the Holy Spirit is equal to lying to God because the Holy Spirit is God. And so here are, uh, here's kind of the process. If you're trying to show, look, yes, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, um, you can't prove it from outside the Bible because it's not information that we discover using general revelation, archaeology, or science. It is clear, special revelation given in Scripture. But there definitely are these three different pieces, three different kind of foundational truths that Scripture gives us that then lead to belief in the Trinity. There's only one God. There are three distinct persons, and each person is God. And that is what the Trinity is, three persons in one being. Now, when it comes to the Trinity, the next question that came in here is, is believing in the Trinity essential to salvation? Now, these questions are difficult to answer. But here's how I understand it. There is a difference between, make sure I say this carefully, there is a difference between having to believe in the Trinity and rejecting the Trinity. So, for example, I don't think that the thief on the cross believed necessarily in the Trinity. It doesn't tell us that he did, right? He, he, he says that he believes in Jesus and Jesus wasn't like, well, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is also God? Do you believe that we are three persons in one being? Like there was not like this theological quiz that the thief on the cross had to pass in order to go to heaven. I also would say that no one in the Old Testament who was saved believed necessarily in the Trinity. They didn't know about Jesus. They believed God. They responded to the revelation in which God had given them. He didn't clearly reveal the Trinity in the person of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so no, they didn't believe in the Trinity. And so definitely pre-Jesus, it's not essential. Now, some may make the argument that post-Jesus, it's essential. But again, I think that you can... Uh, Help someone see that they are a sinner in need of a savior and that person can put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they are saved. And if they die, they're saved without understanding the Trinity. The difference though, is that not just, I don't understand because I have such a young faith in some of these core doctrinal principles, but when you begin to reject them. Right. So if you're like, look, I am a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but I reject the Trinity. Jesus is not God. I would say that, man, that's probably there a serious reason to doubt someone is saved if they're believing that Jesus is not God. So then who is this Jesus that you're trusting in? How is Jesus paying for your sins. What did the death on the cross actually mean if Jesus is not God and doesn't have the ability to forgive sins in that way? And so I think that if we begin to deny foundational core doctrines of the Christian faith, I deny that scripture is the word of God, I deny that God exists, right I deny the Trinity, I deny that Jesus is God, um, I think is good reason to say, yeah, maybe, uh, no, you have to believe some of those things, right? And so um, <clears throat> when we look at Kind of these examples in scripture of Jesus really saying, like, if you deny me, right? Or how does the verse go? I'm thinking off the top of my head. Um, Then you deny the one who sent me, right? If you deny me, then you deny the one who sent me. So for denying Christ as Lord, then, um, sorry, I do not answer the Google voice. You do have to text that Google voice number um, and I will send you uh, a link. Uh, Send your name and the question that you have. And again, make it appropriate. And so we can have a good conversation on some of these topics that you want to talk about. And so, again, if we deny that Christ is Lord, then I don't know what it means to trust in him as Lord and Savior. And So there's a difference between not understanding the Trinity and then flat out denying the Trinity. All right. Next one. Is faith a pathway to truth? Is faith a pathway to truth? <clears throat> trolling revolution. Hey, I appreciate that you're here. Um, again, let's keep this. Let's keep this good. Um, let's try to have a good conversation, not to show up and say how you hate things. Um, anyways, uh, you will be blocked if you just keep trolling like that. Is faith a pathway to truth? Now, people may really kind of have different ways of understanding this people may have maybe they meant something different by this um, when, you know, they're thinking about it. But the way that I would understand is faith is not just simply a pathway uh, to truth, right? It's not just a pathway. Faith, I believe, biblically speaking, faith is trusting in things you have good reason to believe are true. Faith is a trust in what you have good reason to believe is true. Um, so what we see here is I have faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, wow. There's a lot of trolls right now showing up. So too bad. Um, Let's have an honest conversation. Again, this is what I'm trying to do. And this is what I'm trying to do with this channel is you can come on here and you can present your objections, but to just come on here and troll and present just ridiculous things, um, I'm sorry, it's just not going to be tolerated. Uh, I want to have good, fruitful dialogue. And let's show people how to have that. So is faith a pathway to truth? I think that faith is trusting in things you have good reason to believe are true. My faith does not make something true. So if I have faith in God, that doesn't mean that God exists or that God is right. We can absolutely put our faith in the wrong thing. So if I am sick, um, if I am sick, then I believe, let's say I have cancer and I have faith that Tylenol will heal me. I am putting my faith in the wrong thing. Um, I do have the call-in number. Uh, There's a lot of trolls right now, so we're going to be careful with that. But I do have the call-in number. You can find that in the description below. Um, I have, if I have faith that Tylenol is going to heal me, then I'm putting my faith in the wrong thing and I'm not going to be healed of my cancer. Now, if I have cancer and I have faith in chemotherapy, now my faith is becoming better right? I'm putting my faith in something that has been shown to work to cure something. And so the same thing is happening here is that faith is not just this path to truth or faith is not the way in which we get to truth, but we're hopefully putting our faith in something that is true and we have good reason to believe it to be true. So that's how I would understand faith to be. Our faith does not make something true. Now, faith is oftentimes described as like faith in things you can't see. And I love a comment that Jay Warner Wallace made about this. Um, Jay Warner Wallace talked about this idea that every jury on any like criminal trial ever was required to make a decision on something to which they did not see. Right. So the murder took place. And you are presenting eyewitness testimony and you are presenting evidence to the jury and they are having to make a decision based on something they didn't see. Based on evidence, though. You're not saying, okay, close your eyes. You didn't see the murder. Now, is he guilty or innocent? <laughs> that would be crazy. But instead, we present evidence to try and understand what is actually true. And even though you didn't see it, we all believe that we can reasonably come to a conclusion that something is true. And so I think the same is true when it comes to faith. Yes, I didn't see God, but I don't only believe in things I don't see. As I described before, I believe that I have a mind. I haven't seen my mind, but I think there's good reason to believe it. I haven't seen a lot of things that I believe. If it's coming from a trusted source or there's good evidence to support it, I think that we can have good reason to believe it. So um, I hope that helps in understanding the nature of faith. Yes, I will put the call in number here. There have been a lot of trolls, so we're going to Step out on a limb. Again, I please ask that you keep this um, honest and good. Uh, If language is used or anything inappropriate, you would just immediately be blocked. I'm just uh, not going to handle that today. So there's the caller number. You would text your name or question there uh, to get access into the show. Last question that came in here ahead of time. And it is, why did Jesus celebrate the Passover supper with his disciples on Thursday, when the rest of the jews celebrated on friday no i had not heard this question before i hadn't really even thought about this question before that's one of the fun things about doing this and getting questions from a lot of people is trying to understand kind of what people um, are seeing in scripture and again like if you're like me a lot of times you read scripture and you see things that you had never seen before you didn't realize before and so um, it's really fun to kind of see this. And so, um, <clears throat> when we begin to look into scripture, I need to find a way to block that again. Um, I don't know how to block the calls. You got to text the number people. You got to text it. Okay. Um, I'm trying to create a way in which to have better conversations like a call and radio show would. Um, but if it's too distracting, I don't know. You guys can leave your comments on what you think about it. You got to text the phone number um, to join. Um, What am I trying to say here? Okay, let me just mute that. When we look at scripture, um, there is no direct explanation here of um, why Jesus did this. Right. So a lot of times a question like, why did Jesus do X or why did God do X? If Jesus did not tell us why he did it or if God did not tell us why he did it, then we we can't we can't really know. Right. In the same way that if I do something to my students or I tell something to my students and I don't tell them why I did it. And it's like, well, why did Mr. Polly do this? You can guess you can speculate, but you can't actually know unless you come to me and say, hey, why did you do this? And then. I can tell you why I did. Oh, I did this because, and here's my reason for it. And so when I look at scripture, um, I don't see a reason given for this. There is nowhere where Jesus says, here is why we are going to have the Passover supper on Thursday instead of Friday. Um, It says, prepare the feast. They prepared the feast. And so they went ahead and did it. And this is what we see being taught in scripture. Now, some people have suggested that um, maybe uh, Jesus did it a day early because he knew that he was going to be crucified the next day. He knew that he wouldn't make it to the next night, Friday night, and that he would be crucified that day um, and and arrested that previous night. And so, hey, let's have the meal a day early so that we can have the meal, that he can do what he has planned to do, that he can share uh, the bread and the wine with them, that he can talk about Judas is the one who's going to betray him. Therefore, then go out, pray, get arrested. And then he was crucified the next day. If he had waited till Friday, none of that would have happened. So maybe in his knowledge, he did it a day early because of that reason. Um, But again, that's kind of speculation of the scripture says that he did it Thursday. So he did it Thursday. And there's not a whole lot, I think, that else that we can say when it comes to this. Um, I'm looking at the question that came in here in the live chat. Uh, Thank you, Incel Andy, uh, for sending this. Let me uh, read it here really quick. That's the disadvantage of me being the only person here. I'm trying to read questions and talk. And so I got to stop for a second and read to see about answering this question uh, that came in. Um, I don't know what Mark S. Smith's book on the ancient Israelite polytheistic evolution of Yahweh I don't I haven't read that book. And so I can't comment on his book um, and why it is prevalent among atheists. Um, So I'm sorry, I can't comment on that now. um, Yeah, maybe we'll just stop there. I don't want to say too much because I don't know what the book is about. Sorry, I have not read it. You can send me a link to the book and maybe I'll check it out. Um, But unfortunately, I have not read it, so I can't make a comment about it. So with that, those are all the questions that we have. Again, uh, just to announce a couple of announcements as we wrap up. Again, on the 11th, it's going to be a recorded interview with Lydia McGrew looking at the historical evidence for the reliability of the New Testaments and the historicity of the book of John. On the 22nd, I believe, is that right, Dave? Let me confirm. Yep, on the 22nd of September is the interview uh, with Jay Warner Wallace, why Jesus still matters in a world that rejects the Bible, person of interest, looking at the person of Jesus and how he has transformed culture. Those are interviews that are coming up. If that is something that looks interesting to you, I just encourage you guys to subscribe and check out all of those interviews that are coming up, not miss the things that are taking place as well as other conversations that we're gonna have. If you've enjoyed this, uh, please um, uh, come back and uh, share it with a friend and come back and see others. The study desk, can you do a Bible study with me? Um, you can come hang out here when I work through this. I don't do live Bible studies. I know other people that do. I currently don't. So unfortunately, if you live in Southern California, you can come to my church. We have Bible studies on Wednesday night. You can email me. Uh, Let me put up that website there. You can check out the website. Where's my website thing? There it is. Okay. No, that's not it. Okay. Um, Ending. There we go. Coffeehousequestions.com. So Uh, The study desk, you can go to coffeehousequestions.com. You can send me an email if you're in the Southern California area. Uh, But other than that, unfortunately, I don't do Bible studies um, on uh, YouTube. I would suggest you go to Mike Winger. Mike Winger does live Bible studies. He just finished working through the book of Mark. I believe I heard that he's starting Hebrews next, which should be pretty awesome. And so um, that is something... Uh, that you can definitely do. Uh, So there's a lot of people that do that. I, unfortunately, am kind of doing a lot of stuff with full-time work and teaching high school and trying to do these. And so I don't have the time to also do live Bible study. So um, sorry about that, but you can always join here, have conversations, and we can discuss different issues in future episodes. So everybody... Thank you for being here for the end of the month Q and A. Thank you for your participation. I hope this was informative and helpful to you. I look forward to seeing you guys again in the future. Come back, watch those other views, videos, and I'll see you guys later. Keep sending in those questions and um, keep thinking deeply about God and Christianity because they are worth thinking about. Bye, everybody. I just really won't hesitate to your love will guide my way.